0: shepherd but also a good judge shalom thank you for joining us for the sunday sermon of november 22nd 2020 from christ church jerusalem on christ the king sunday deacon aaron imey tells us that the good shepherd is both king and judge judgment is a part of the messianic age in which all things that are wrong will be made right and we are not excluded from that process Our obligation to God is to be holy like He is, to imitate His character and behavior. We are not excluded from the coming judgment. The good news, however, is that we have a good judge. The Good Shepherd is also the good judge. For those listening, the week of Thanksgiving 2020, you still have a few days left to order our online exclusive t-shirts, our Psalm 122 t-shirts are back, and we have a new design for Christmas. Glory to the newborn king! Shirt designs start at $22 and come in t-shirt, long-sleeve tee, hoodie, and crew neck sweatshirt. We also have Psalm 122 mugs and totes. The Psalm 122 design features Pray for the Peace of Jerusalem in Hebrew, Arabic, and English, just as seen on the plaques near the door of the church. The more we sell, the more profit each item generates. So tell your friends and family that you have found the perfect gift for that certain someone. This time-limited sale ends November 30th. Proceeds go to fund the work of Christchurch and Beit Emmanuel, our sister ministry in Tel Aviv. Visit t org for details. That's t-s-h-i-r-t dot christchurchjerusalem dot o-r-g. Our U.S. printing partner, Bonfire, will ship internationally. Orders are scheduled to ship from the U.S. on December 8th. Thank you for your prayers and support. Now, on to the lectionary readings.
1: The reading appointed from the Hebrew Scriptures begins at the 34th chapter of Ezekiel, the 11th verse. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from among the peoples and gather them from the countries And will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. In the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture. And their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold. And feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Therefore, Thus says the Lord God to them. Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep. Because you have pushed with the side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns, and scattered them abroad, therefore I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, And I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is the word of the Lord.
2: A reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Our gospel portion for the last Sunday in the calendar year uh, is from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 25, a familiar passage the sheep and the goats' judgment. Uh, Please stand. It's always good to stand in the presence of a king. Our king is here, particularly when he is teaching us. The good news, according to Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are at the tail end, the last Sunday in the Christian calendar. There are lots of different calendars in the world. Obviously, we've got Christmas coming up, New Year in January, there's a New Year for trees, Rosh Hashanah is in September, uh, and the the Christian calendar actually ends today in terms of its reading cycle. So we finish with Matthew, and next week is Advent, which has a special series of calendars, and then we will begin Mark. Today is also in the Christian calendar called... Christ the King, this is the day where we talk about and contemplate that Jesus the Messiah is indeed King, which for most of us who come from uh, countries that have monarchs, we can appreciate, for those that do not, then that's an interesting concept. Who called it Christ the King, I hear you ask? Well, the Pope did in 1927. This feast day was added to the calendar. Why did he do such a thing? Because in the 1920s, the world was beginning to see rising uh, fascism and these little dictators and and despots were beginning to uh, rise around the world and people were getting nervous. And so the Pope thought, we need to make sure that the faithful are reminded that actually God is king, not these other guys. So he put... Uh, a special feast day and Anglicans embrace that idea they said oh that's a pretty good idea even though we are meant to preach Messiah as king every day but it is also good to at least remember even if it's just one day of the year God is a king and so the focus of today's uh, readings looks at Messiah as a king and a judge. So we had the sheep and the goats in Exodus, in Ezekiel, and again in Matthew. And judgment isn't a very popular preaching topic, most likely because it involves some sort of unpleasantries. Usually, if you're going to go on a speaking tour around uh, the world, you don't say, hey, I'm going to come to your church and I'm going to preach eternal burn sermon. How does that sound? It's not always a uh, Uh, a fun topic to have to wrestle with, but a valuable nature of the lectionary is that we have to wrestle with all parts of Scripture. There will be times where we can get to study a miracle or a a good psalm or a a parable of the kingdom, but we will also have to acknowledge God is king and a judge. God is both love and... And a consuming fire. But the good news is that one day, all things that are wrong will be made right. And we are not excluded from that process. Now, in the Hebraic context of judgment, the Bible brings us uh, to awareness that God indeed is a judge. And he has... In the past, he can and he will bring judgment on the world. He has done so many times already. What can we think of? The flood. He judged the world then, and he judged Egypt. He said to Moses, I am going to judge all of the Egyptian gods. At the same time in those judgments, there was salvation. God was also a redeemer. He redeemed a family in a boat. He redeemed a nation from out of Israel. He was a guide. He was a sustainer. He was a provider. And he was a lawgiver. With Israel, it's obvious. He gave the law at Mount Sinai. Noah too. When Noah came out of the ark, God gave him laws, what we today call the seven laws of Noah. So God was judge and redeemer. Provider and sustainer and lawgiver. And in the first temple period, people began to uh, seemingly only tend to focus mainly on the good bits of God. And so we have prophets. And the prophets came and they were reminding the people that a looming judgment was coming. Based on things that they had not done. And being disobedient. You did not want to fall into the hands of a living God. In the second temple period, that is the time after we've been to Babylon, then we come back and we have a good, hard, deep look at what brought this about. What did we do that we ended up there? So they had a hard look at the reading of the Bible. This is all the strong influence that comes into the New Testament time. And they began to think, okay, God is a judge, but he's such a good guy. He created the world. He loves the world. Um, why would God punish? So maybe there are other agents involved. And so middle uh, mediators became more prevalent in the Second Temple period. God wasn't going to judge. Somebody else was. It might have been Michael. Okay? It might have been, um, they even created a whole new being in the Talmud called Metatron. This, this character that was going to be a, a judge. Messiah was going to judge the world. The Dead Sea Scrolls decided that their Messiah was going to come down, not at Passover, which was the tradition, but at Yom Kippur. And he was going to enter into judgment. And even gave him his name. His name was going to be Melchizedek. And he was going to judge the world. And the criterion for judgment across the board was how you treated the weak. And so you see in uh, the Hebrew Bible, true religion is taking care of the widows and the orphans. And this is repeated verbatim in the New Testament, in the, in the epistle of James. And wisdom literature, like the Proverbs, would begin to say in, in Proverbs nineteen seventeen, he who lends to the poor, the weak members of society, well, you actually weren't helping the poor, you were lending to God so they began to, to, to create this, uh, this relationship. Now, being poor doesn't make you extra, any extra special holy, and being rich doesn't make you automatically evil. Many of the heroes of God were, were wealthy. It was what you did with your wealth. In particular, have the spirit of generosity. So let's look at our texts, uh, beginning with the Hebrew portion, Ezekiel. Ezekiel is the only prophet in the Bible who is the son of man. So all the other all the other characters, all the other uh, prophets, get uh, a title or a job description, but only Ezekiel is called son of man. Now, son of man in Hebrew, uh, ben adam. For those Hebrew speakers that are here, if I said ani Peshut ben adam, what have I just said? I'm just a, I'm just a human, just a man, just a guy. Ben-Adam, literally son of Adam, means human. But in, in, and in Ezekiel's case, that is what God is calling him. Human, do this. Human, prophesy. When Yeshua, when Jesus calls himself son of man, he's not referring to that. He's referring to the character that you see in Daniel, which is a little bit more than just a son of Adam. Although that component is... Is there too? So Ezekiel is called Son of Man. The Ezekiel book itself is a book from the diaspora. It is diaspora literature. What is that? I hear you ask. A very good question. A lot of the Bible is written in a certain flavour and a way that it describes things. Books written outside the land have a, a different way of talking. They have different influences. And Ezekiel has some pretty weird stuff. Oddly enough, the New Testament is largely diaspora. The Gospels are written, or the material is collated in in the land. But after that, it begins to become diaspora. So it uses different metaphors, different language, different uh, ways of describing things. But that does not make it not a Jewish text. So Ezekiel is a Jewish book, even though it's written outside the land. New Testament is exactly the same way. And what is our hero in Ezekiel supposed to do? Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. They have done something. They have not been... uh, Perhaps they haven't been teaching right. Perhaps they haven't been uh, 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 doing good sermons. But instead... They have been feeding themselves instead of feeding the people. And they have become fat. And so out of love and compassion, the Lord himself will do what the unfaithful shepherds have not done. He will become the good shepherd. And truly, God is the good shepherd. He will search for those that is lost. He will rescue those that need to get saved. He will return people back To their land. And he will feed them again on the mountains of Israel. Doesn't say exactly what with, but you could imagine. Feed them with truth. Feed them with the Spirit. Feed them with blessings. Feed them with food. But they will be fed the food of the Lord, which by definition must be good. Now, in the Jewish world, in the ancient Jewish world, shepherds held a pretty high value in society. Many of the patriarchs were shepherd princes. Much of those that were wealthy were uh, nomadic herders. And and the shepherd was a, a, a civil leader as well as a spiritual guide of his people. But then later in the Second Temple period, when you had urbanization, that is, people have created cities, the rich people moved into the city. And so... Uh, they would then get the poor people to go back out and become the shepherds. So at the time of Jesus, the shepherds are the the lower class. But in Ezekiel, shepherds were the high class. The good shepherd motif is not a low person. He is a a high prince. Their job was to lead, guide, protect, and correct. We often like to talk about God, the good shepherd, The guy who leads me, the one who protects me, the one who guides me, and the one who feeds me. We really don't like to talk about the guy who corrects me. Although a shepherd had two instruments. He had a rod and he had his shepherd crook. The shepherd crook, he could guide, he could push, he could rescue. And for a bad sheep, he would smack with the rod. And what does David say? Your rod and your staff, comfort. Hmm. comforting to be in the hands of God's justice, of course. <clears throat> when God comes down to talk to the shepherds of Israel, he's not talking to pagans. Ezekiel is, is getting his prophecy in Babylon, but we're not talking about them. We're talking about Israel here. When God is talking to the household of faith, he says, I will destroy the fat and the strong, and I will help the weak. Well, he's going to feed the strong and the fat in justice, whatever that means. But justice and righteousness are the footstool of my throne, says Psalm 89. The good shepherd is also a good judge. And he will separate between sheep and goats too. For him, he will look for fat. It's going to be pretty easy for him to see which sheep are fat and which ones are thin. He's not going to need to look inside your heart and work out whether you love God or not. He can simply look at what you've done. Because people are known by their actions. Lastly, as the prophet finishes in Ezekiel, he finishes with some good news. Not only will God rescue and redeem and also enter into justice and judgment, but he will also provide another shepherd, another good shepherd, David. And so you get this this messianic promise that God will indeed appoint an ultimate Davidic shepherd, over his people, So these are nice themes, and they carry over into the teaching of Jesus that we have today, the last day of the Christian calendar, the day where we think of God as king, and we finish with the sheep and the goats judgment. Now, in context, the parable of the, of the, of the sheep and the goats follows on, From the parable of the virgins and the parable of the talents, which we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. Now, most likely, Jesus didn't wake up one day and say to his disciples, Okay, boys and girls, we are doing uh, the last days today. Okay, so everybody get down. A couple of parables coming up virgins, talents, sheep, and goats. Only takes five minutes each. We're done in 20. It's more likely that in the teaching style of Jesus, he taught. one parallel here, another parallel over there, and then the, the, the gospel writer Matthew, tacked them together because they flowed. right And so but in context, we've had the virgins, which is a warning, be prepared, and we've had the talents where we understand we are accountable to our actions. And then in this one, it starts off by saying, "The Son of Man will come." and sit on his throne. And that's the character that you see in Daniel. But it certainly links to the Son of Man found in Ezekiel, particularly if you're Jewish and you're listening. And then he says, All nations will be gathered before me. Now that is an interesting thought. Who's listening to this parable? Jesus, Yeshua, is teaching who? Jews. And in the judgment parable, all nations will be gathered before me. Part of the messianic age is judgment. Salvation, redemption, yes. Hope and uh, blessings, yes. But there's one aspect, which is the one we focus now. A judgment is coming. So if you're Jewish... And your dad, and you've got your son there, and you're listening to rabbi teach. He says, all nations will, will come and they'll get judged. And on the way home, the son turns around and says, Dad, God's going God's to judge the Gentiles too. Yes, he will sir. Well, how do they know what to do? I mean, if they don't know who he is, it's not a very fair judgment, is it? I didn't know the speed limit was 60. know, yeah, I was doing 80. I didn't know. So what's the logical conclusion? Who's going to tell the Gentiles that there's a God? Who's going to tell the Gentiles that there's a good shepherd? Who's going to warn the Gentiles that this good shepherd will come and judge? We will. Part of our job is to tell the nations. And that's why in the prayer book of the Jewish people, the Psalms, it's always an invitation for all of creation to worship God. Hallelujah at Adonai, Kol Praise the Lord, all you nations. Well, how are they going to know how to do that unless we go tell them? And so now we have, just like in Ezekiel, a separation of the sheep and the goats. Now, in the ancient world, sheep and goats were one flock, and biblically, they are the same. Biologically, I know sheep and goats are different. They are very different. They taste different. Okay, goats have horns. Males and females have horns. Only male sheep have horns. Goats eat trash. Goats eat anything. Sheep a little bit more picky. Um, But and biblically, in the Bible, sheep and goats have exactly the same weight when you're bringing an offering. When you read Leviticus, you can say you can take a sheep or a goat. In fact, even at Exodus, when it's the Passover, Exodus says you may take a a male lamb or a goat and offer. They are the same, biblically. So for this judgment, for people who thought that they were all together and secure and safe, to be separated was a shock. And that was the point. Jesus wanted to shock them. And say, You thought you were secure? You thought you were okay? Whoa, boy, did you not just get it wrong. You thought you were my disciple? Hmm. It's a warning. The Son of Man had come and he had revealed the truth. And what was this basis of separation? I hear you ask. Well, on the surface level, it looks very much like actions. I mean, it looks like they're being judged on what they did. The Son of Man doesn't sit down on His throne and then say, "Okay, ladies and gentlemen, hands up, who believes in Jesus? So you can come in." It's a uh, who gave me water, who gave me, who clothed me when I was naked, who visited me when I was sick. Incredibly simple things. What are these things? Where do they get this idea? What, where's this list from? Once again, back into its Jewish context. Remember, the New Testament is a Jewish book written by Jews, about Jews, predominantly to Jews. And uh, in context, uh, the Jewish people had read the Bible when they've come back out of Babylon with a little fine tooth comb. And it says six times in Leviticus, I know you've heard David say this before, Uh Leviticus says, be holy, because I am holy. Okay. So now we pour over the scriptures looking to see what are the deeds or the character of God that makes him holy. And then let's do those. And so they started asking questions. If, uh, when do, how do we know that God clothes the naked? Because Adam and Eve were naked and he gave them clothing. How do we know that he feeds the hungry? Because we were in the desert and we were starving and he gave us manna. How do we know that he feeds the the thirsty? Well, we were were in the desert and he he poured water from a rock. How do we know that he visits the sick? Because in Genesis, Abraham had been circumcised and the very next thing that happens, God shows up. So they made a connection. There's Abraham not feeling too good uh, and God came and sat with him while the other two angels went off to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But God stayed with injured Abraham. Well, that was a nice thing to do. So we will do the same. How do we know he visited people in prison? He was there with Daniel. And so they created this list. It's called the Gimilut Chassidim. And you can uh, Google that one and you will see exactly the same list that you see in Matthew 25. Except our Matthew 25 is missing one. Because in the Gimeluk Chasidim that we find uh, created by Jewish people, they've, they've tacked another one on, which is burying the dead. Because God buries Moses. And so one of the final acts of loving kindness is to bury the dead because the dead cannot pay you back. If I give somebody a glass of water if they're thirsty, maybe they actually pay me back. Maybe they come back a day or two later and they say, look, really, that was great, thank you much, I was so desperate. Here's $5, and I got my reward. But we don't want to get our reward. We want God to give us our reward. That's why later on in the New Testament it says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Keep it all secret so that your Father in heaven can give you a reward. But the dead person will never be able to pay you back. And so today in Israel, you have a... Unit of uh, the Magendevi Dom, which is run by the Orthodox. I think they call it Zaka. Is that right? Yep. And it's uh, Orthodox Jews who will, um, during a horrible accident or a terror attack, they will run along and they will pick up every single piece of human, including the bomber himself, so that he gets a burial, because that's what God did, and we will do it too. So. The, uh, the, 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 the point is that if you love God and your desire and delight is to be like Him and you will act like Him, but if you love God and do absolutely nothing, search your heart again. because Maybe you love something else. And maybe this passage here is a warning for us. And what another thing is interesting in this passage is the word righteous. Initially, God says, uh, he turns to those who are blessed of my father, and you will get your inheritance. That's good news. We have inheritance, uh, a place in the world to come. And it was created before the creation of the world. Prepared before the creation of the world. That's a nice thought. But the text also calls them Righteous. How can they be righteous? No one is righteous. That's what it says in the, in, the, in the Bible. No one is righteous, no not one, except Noah, because it says in Genesis, "Noah was righteous." And so there is this tension which you always find in the Bible. The Bible loves tension. It says, "Do not put the Lord your God to the test." And then you get to Malachi and God says, "Put me to the test." What? Test the spirits. So you get this tension. You're a saint. And a sinner, you're a sheep, but you have to feed the sheep. That makes you a shepherd. You're a disciple, and you have to go out and make disciples. You, go, "Oh my gosh, this beautiful way of tension. And so we are blessed and righteous by the Son of Man, by the good shepherd, who came and found us, when we were lost, and fed us something that was so good. And we have a reward, an inheritance. It's good news. And then there's another group of people, the curse. Who are the curse? What does that actually mean? Well, there the word in Greek can mean a looming evil. So God is warning these people, change your ways. There's a looming evil that's coming to you. And if you don't, then there's an eternal fire that was prepared Not for you. What does the text say? The eternal fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never God's plan to make some humans and throw them into hell. What does the the Bible say? I would have it that all should turn and be saved and come to a relationship with the living God. So it is comforting to note that that eternal fire was made for somebody else. And in Revelation, we open it up, and we start throwing people in there. The Antichrist, the false prophet, the beast, death. That's a good one. Throw that one in there. But out of all of this, let us remember, brothers and sisters, that judgment is part of the Messianic age. So what is the good news in all of this? Well, the good news is we have a good shepherd. There are bad shepherds, unfortunately, in the church and around the world, and we know some of them. But we have a good shepherd, and one day all things will be made right. The good news is we have an inheritance, and the good news is there is justice, because the good shepherd is also a good judge. When it comes time to judgment, who do you want to stand in front of? No one but the good judge, and in his compassion, and in his mercy, and in his love, we will find our inheritance. So, brothers and sisters, choose wisely whom we will serve as we start our new year. Perhaps we should begin by serving each other. That might be a good start. Because God himself says, I'm coming, and I will take care of the weak. If that's what he does... That's what we should do. So let's do that. And then we will hear those beautiful words. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.